Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Michael G. Tingus, and he is the President and Managing Principal of Lee & Associates, LA North Ventura since 2004 and is also one of LA's top commercial brokers presiding over the growth of the company from a single office in Sherman Oaks in 2004 to include three additional offices in Calabasas, Ventura County and Antelope Valley with sales and leasing revenues in excess of 60, 650 million annually. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lance. Appreciate uh, appreciate you hosting us this morning. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you on. Uh, this is so timely um, because I've been hearing a lot from different people, and I, I I'm very interested in your your our audience is uh, in real estate. There's developers listening to this podcast, builders, a lot of architects, and we're all wondering where the commercial sector is heading. We all kind of are feeling the residential sector just be on fire. It's amazing. Um, but before we get into that that topic. Why don't, you, why don't we kick things off by, tell, tell us a little bit more about your background from way back. You know, what got you into real estate in the first place? Sure, sure, definitely. Um, so, um, I ended up down in Southern California, uh, kind of by accident, not really, but uh, I, I was a young little kid growing up in Northern California in, in Davis and played a lot of junior golf. And uh, ultimately, in, I think in 1983, I was ranked fourth in the country and ended up being recruited by a bunch of schools and USC is where I landed. Um, Ironically, out in uh, the Conejo Valley at North Ranch Country Club in Westlake Village was uh, kind of our home course. And uh, so on the weekends, I used to go out there and I met some people uh, while I was in school at USC. A lot of people in the, you know, mid 80s to late 80s that were getting into real estate. And, and so, uh, so as I ended up uh, my golf career at USC, one of, our, uh, one of our good golf team supporters, a, guy, a gentleman by the name of Max Green, uh, Max Green uh, was with a company called the Sealy Company, which was founded in 1906, big industrial real estate firm. Um, and fortunately, in uh, 1988, after I graduated, I started for the Sealy Company out here in the San Fernando Valley, uh, where I basically started uh, really the West San Fernando Valley, 405 Freeway, kind of West, uh, working primarily industrial. And that was back in early 88, 89, you know, when I started my career. And and quickly thereafter, ended up in the 1991 to 94 recession. Um, mm. So it was quite an interesting start to the career. Um, but that's kind of where I started. And then uh, I spent about 10 years with uh, Sealy Company then, that then became Collier's. Um, I left the company for, I left the company and went to work for a client of mine, actually, that I pulled out of the garage in 1993. Uh, we took a company called Capstone Turbine Company Public. Uh, I worked there for a period of about three years selling distributed power generation during the uh, mm. during the, uh, the power uh, crisis back when Gray Davis was in office. Um, loved real estate. After that uh, experience, I then went got back into real estate, um, and that's how I ended up over Lean Associates in 2004. And um, Lean Associates, great, great um, historical company, founded by Bill Lee. Um, it's a broker-owned uh, company. We're the largest broker-owned company in the country, um, and we have a lot of ability to kind of do what we want to do. All of our offices are independently owned and operated, so 
obviously the San Fernando Valley, my offices, which is now we started in uh, Sherman Oaks. We had about eight brokers in Sherman Oaks when I started. Um, and we had mostly office brokers. And historically, Lee and Associates have been an industrial company. And so um, the way I had to look at building the company was to bring in really a really good solid staff um, that really, you know, so we had all the bells and whistles that our other big competitors had, CBREs, uh, Cushman and Wakefields, et cetera. And, um, and it's just different. You know, each office, each market is different. If you look at like a, our other office in commerce uh, or an office in city of industry, you know, where you have very, very little office, very little retail, um, you know, you just have to kind of build your particular uh, shop a little bit differently than others. So, uh, so we were able to, you know, get a pretty quick start in 2004. We grew uh, the office in 2004. We hired about 12 new brokers uh, for the Sherman Oaks office. We hired about 16 brokers and opened up Calabasas uh, in 2000, late 2004. And then opened up Oxnard in 2006, as well as Palmdale, uh, our Palmdale office. So, you know, over the years, you know, we've, you find a lot of good people. You always say, boy, Lance, it'd be great one day if we could work together. And, you know, when you get to that point uh, in your career where, you know, you have a chance to bring in really good people, and, and that's what we've been able to do. Um, and so now today, um, we basically have all the food groups. We have our multifamily uh, uh, group, which does obviously apartment investments. We have retail, we have office, and we have industrial. Um, and so we've been able to basically, you know, provide services to all of our clients. Um, and then that's been really important. And then probably one of the biggest things, uh, Lance, that changed my career is in 1993, I bought my first home in Calabasas in early 93. And by uh, April of 93, we had huge rains out in the Calabasas, obviously in Southern California. We had about 57 uh, surficial slope failures in, in our development in Calabasas. And that's, that development's over there pretty much where the Oaks is. That's where you have basically a lot of your stars where Dustin mm -hmm. Bieber and, and other people have had, had homes up there. And, and um, I was president of the Homeowners Association. You know, we spent about six or seven years in litigation with Southern California Edison, Bechtel, uh, you know, some grading contractors. And I was pretty active in the city. And then in, in uh, late 93, uh, I was appointed to the first planning commission for the city of Calabasas. And I served five terms there. So from 1993 to 2003. And that was a really great experience because I got to sit on the other side of the diocese um, to listen to applicants, industrial, retail, uh, multifamily developers, um, you know, come and present their cases to, uh, to try to get a project approved. And, and, uh, and that's really where I learned a lot. It's kind of where I, you know, it was incredible education and, it was a great understanding of just how difficult it is for basically all of our clients. I don't care what you do, you know, to go and buy a piece of land uh, and try to get a project approved. Um, and you really realize, you know, it's not just sending over, you know, potential developer a piece of land that, boy, this land looks really nice and, you know, you should buy it. You know, you have to learn about everything about setbacks and about, you know, building heights and, densities and um, all the different requirements environmentally that you need to comply with. And, and so that was really kind of my forte. So I started off as an industrial guy and then I started getting into doing a lot of land uh, deals. And because of the 10 years that I spent uh, in the planning commission, I got to know a lot of the other cities, uh, city of Agoura Hills, city of Westlake Village, Thousand Oaks, Simi Valley, 
Los Angeles, you know, uh, Moore Park, and uh, was instrumental in bringing a lot of really interesting projects to those cities. And, and, uh, and then again, having the diverse group of brokers that we have, I was able to provide, you know, if I needed somebody to do retail, I could bring in a retail broker. If it was a multifamily opportunity or a conversion, I could bring in our multifamily group. So, um, so that's kind of, the, you know, my background in a relatively large nutshell, but it's, it's been a, a great ride, very interesting, and, um, you know, always opportunities. We're in that time again where obviously the residential market is really good. The industrial market is just, you know, blazing hot. And now we're looking at, you know, a lot of office buildings and a lot of retail buildings and hospitality buildings and, you know, trying to figure out, okay, you know, what does, what is the second life or third life of these projects going to look like now going forward? So again, um, you know, it, it will evolve. And I think we have some interesting times ahead for us. Yeah. Maybe we could, maybe we could talk about those times. So uh, any predictions on where, where, where those two sectors go from here? Real estate obviously is becoming completely digital, digitalized, right? Amazon is just a huge, huge supplier of all that stuff. And then, at, and then at the same time, uh, just your standard brick and mortar folks, right? So we've, our office, office buildings is what I should talk about is, you know, we've accelerated at an unprecedented rate of moving, you know, so many things, I think over 60% of workers now are at least part-time working remotely. So then that statistic and a lot of it's going to stick. So do you, where do you think those two kind of sectors are headed towards in their second and third lives? Are you seeing any kind of new opportunities? You know, we have a housing shortage. Is it, are there going to be those kind of conversions? Um, well, there, you know, it's interesting. It's, I mean, I think it's a really, really exciting time out. It wouldn't be an exciting time necessarily if you own a lot of office product, but I think if you really think about where the market has gone, I mean, it's, it's kind of pre COVID. I bought maybe 5% of my stuff online. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy, I'm a, like to go and touch it, feel it, uh, see it, buy it, support local retailers. Um, that obviously has changed. So now I'm probably 80% buying our products online. So same thing kind of happened on the office side. When you look at what's happened since COVID, we shut down, I think, on March 13th of last year. Uh, pretty much been working every single day since we shut down. We have a five, six, seven people in each office, you know, that can come in. Um, some of my top producers have been working out of their homes and rarely coming in. And because of the kind of the digital revolution and the ability to basically conduct business remotely, um, you're definitely going to see a significant change there where, you know, I'd probably say we're, we're relocating or not relocating. We're redoing an office right now in Sherman Oaks where we bought an office building over in Calabasas that we're moving to. We're probably going to use 20% less space. Uh, we've gone to hard offices uh, versus an open, uh, uh, open landscape. Um, you know, where you have basically your principals, your, your, you know, your senior brokers are in private offices and then, uh, your, your associates or your junior people are out in the cubicles in front and support staff, which is really kind of traditional. It goes back to kind of where we were, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and I think that's going to continue to kind of be the, the norm. So I think the, the days of kind of the open co-sharing, I mean, those okay, but I mean, there'll be, there's a place for that, but I think that there'll be a little shift from that. Uh, for your traditional companies. But, you know, getting to your question regarding office buildings, um, really office buildings and retail buildings, 
So definitely office buildings you can look at. Um, if you have a two-story office building, um, you're going to be in good shape. If you've got a high rise, a little bit more of a challenge. Um, you know, I would say in the last, you know, 9, 10, 12 months, we've actually done quite a few office deals. And it's basically uh, users of space are looking for a key to their door. So if I can get a key to my door and I can have my restrooms and my lobby contained within my own space, that's a good thing. Uh, because then they know they don't have a shared lobby, shared restrooms. Uh, they can kind of control the access to their building. And and while COVID, you know, was a, what, one in a, once in a, every hundred years, you know, where we are in this world, who knows? I mean, who knows if we have this happen again in three or four or five years. And so if you can uh, kind of control your space, I think that's a good thing. Um, so I think you will see uh, anybody that has the ability to provide kind of uh, individualized access to certain buildings. So your suburban markets will probably fare pretty well. Um, you know, getting into some of the buildings over in West LA and downtown where you've got to go into a common lobby and up an elevator, that's challenging right now. And until we get this vaccine out and we get uh, COVID really under control, um, you know, it's going to be a, a slow, slow access back. The other thing that's kind of interesting is that no different than a lot of these big old retail uh, buildings that we saw where you had a Kmart or a Sears or a Macy's and these big, large anchor centers. Mm -hmm. You know, you've already started to see some of those repurposed, like over in Northridge where they converted the Macy's, you know, to creative office. Um, I think you're going to continue to see areas where you have these large parking fields. Um, there's no doubt that we're going to have, um, you know, we're going to have these smart cars. Uh, we already have them. So I think the demand for the amount of parking that buildings have, where it's, you know, four, five, six per thousand parking, I think you're going to see that decrease. And so I think there's going to be some opportunities to bring in multifamily closer to some of these business areas where you don't have, you know, parking structures, but you have large parking fields. And so though I think there will be some opportunities for redevelopment there. Very similar to what you're seeing in a lot of these large retail centers, you know, you got a 20 acre retail center that used to have a Kmart um, and a lot of these other big boxes that now have shrunk their footprint down. And so in theory, you can look and say, I've got a 20 acre park that I've got, you know, 200,000 square feet of retail, which only about a hundred thousand square feet is viable, which means there may be an opportunity for me to tear down a hundred thousand square feet of building pick up 10 acres of land and potentially create a reverse mixed use park. And, and you've seen that that's been happening for probably the last five or six years uh, uh, across the country. So again, there's going to be definite opportunity out there. Um, the, the real key is going to be is that, you know, as long as you're not over highly leveraged, you're going to have a chance to basically, you know, take advantage of some of these opportunities because there's no doubt there's going to be a significant shift. Um, in our market out here, you know, I've stopped kind of going to the malls. I got the Panga on you know, one side. I've got the Oaks on the other side. I don't really have any need to go to a mall. I don't need to go to Dick's Sporting Goods, pick up a pair of golf shoes anymore or a golf shirt. Um, but I do need to go over to the, you know, whether it's the, my cleaners or whether it's over to a uh, computer shop to get my computer fixed. I'm finding myself and a lot of my neighbors have been supporting a lot more of the local retail. So it's kind of almost going back, you know, 40 years ago mm -hmm. to where we basically shopped on our boulevards. And so I'm hoping that that does happen 
and then I know in the Thousand Oaks, Westlake Village, Agora, you know, Calabasas area, we've, we've definitely seen a lot of the residents supporting the local retailers. Um, you know, whether the restaurants can hang in there any longer uh, is another yeah. is another story. But, you know, there's been some interesting things that have obviously evolved due to COVID. Definitely. Are you guys seeing an increase in bankruptcies yet? Is anybody going going south on there or is it everybody somehow holding steady? And Yeah, you know, it's it. I mean, unfortunately, I would say if, if there's anything that was kind of negative that happened early on, it was. It was just uh, when the mayor and the governor were talking about these not paying rent, mm-hmm. um, not no evictions, you know, all of that stuff was really troublesome. And it and it was a little, it's still a little confusing in the marketplace because, you know, I have tenants and buildings and and a lot of us, including including myself, I mean, have asked for rent forgiveness uh, and not necessarily forgiveness, but basically uh, rent deferral. Yeah. On, I've done it on all of our on all of our leases. One that I'm sitting in right now. So we basically said, hey, we we took eight months of half rent uh, during the first part of COVID, and we pushed it off and added it to the end of our lease. And in some cases, mm-hmm. so those eight months of half rent it was four months of full rent. So in some cases, I would go and give the landlord eight months at the end of the lease. So that works. The, the difficulty is for a lot of these folks that are occupying buildings and apartments where they haven't they haven't been paying rent and they haven't been evicted to go and ask, you know, me as a renter, let's just say to, Hey, you don't have to pay rent. They can't evict you, but you're going to have to pay back that rent that you haven't paid over the next 12 months. Well, pretty hard to do if I don't have a job. Uh, and certainly I'm not going to be able to pay, you know, additional monies to get out of my mess. So the difficulty in what's happened, and I talked to a lot of lenders is that, we didn't really see, I haven't seen any foreclosures. I couldn't tell you of any foreclosure that happened in 2020. I don't think you're going to see many in the first quarter of 2021. You know, starting the second quarter of 2021, third quarter, fourth quarter, I think you're going to see a pretty significant increase. Mm-hmm. However, again, if the borrowers are good borrowers, you know, the lenders are probably going to try to play ball with them because, you know, the economy was pumping pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not any huge indicators. You know, I've, I've been through four, four recessions. Every time it's bad, the little, the little guys, the manufacturers that make all the widgets that I still work with, I still work with 1,500-foot users. When those folks start going bad and you see manufacturing layoffs, and you see that that market go, then usually things come un, undone. So the good news: industrial, manufacturing, smart people creating new you know new widgets is continuing, and it's continuing all over Southern California, all over you know all over California for that matter. So I'm I, I'm I'm hopeful that we see a lot of banks doing workouts with borrowers to try to kind of ex, extend you know, what we're in, because I just don't, I don't see this being like the last recession when we just had this financial collapse. Mm -hmm. This wasn't a financial collapse. I haven't seen anything financially break. There's obviously going to be some, you know, some renegotiations of loans, modifications of loans, but uh, we really haven't seen any foreclosures. I mean, I could, I don't know of any foreclosure 
that's taken place in the North Los Angeles and Ventura County of any significance. So that's good. Um, because when that starts happening, then, you know, people start getting in a panic and then yep. buyers sit on the sidelines and then transactions slow down and product increases. But, you know, we're, we're entering, at least on the industrial side, we've never seen industrial market with such low vacancies. And, and again, I think that's the driver, but definitely going to be your you know fair share on the office, on the uh, hospitality, um, fitness centers, and uh, in retail, no doubt. Do, do you think a part of that uh, of the financial system not completely falling apart um, like it did last time? I mean, it was a panic effect. I think that's what you're basically describing, you know, is that it's this domino effect that happens as soon as you start to see one, then people close their uh, purse and their money purse and then they stop spending, they stop buying and we, we sort of stop that. Do you think it's, do people such as yourself or others, was it a, is this something that was learned from the 2008 recession and then are we just applying it now and we're in better shape? Well, you know, lenders are not lending like they did back in, you know, 2000, uh, 2000 to 2008. I mean, you know, you can go get, you know, 80, 90% loans on investments and today you're lucky to get 60%. So, you know, rule of thumb, I mean, that's good and that's bad, you know, so you want to make sure you're somewhere not less than 40 and not more than 60% leveraged. And so a lot of lenders are just not lending the way that they did at one point. And, you know, for the most part, um, they're scrutinizing the loans. Um, they're looking at the loans from a standpoint of not just, you know, back, I remember, God, back in, you know, mid 2000s, you know, we were projecting future rents and future sale values. And so you're being able to borrow on that. Today, it's basically, you're looking at what is the current value, uh, you know, based on the sales approach, the income approach, replacement approach. And so you've got a lot more conservativeness going on between the appraisers and the lenders. Mm -hmm. So I just don't think you have the same, you know, the same situation that we had back in, uh, in 2000, you know, eight, 2009. So I don't, I don't think that um, will be the case. And, and again, financing is, you know, money is really, really cheap. So a lot of these folks have been taking advantage of the SBA loans. Uh, we did when we bought our office building in Westlake village, you know, puts you in a really good spot. I mean, it's sub 3% money you know, it's 25 year fixed money. So it's a, it's a pretty good spot. So I just don't see the, I don't see the volatility that I saw back in, you know, in 08, 09, where, you know, everybody thought they were, you know, a real estate investor and developer and, you know, and just got in, you know, they were just at the end of 2007, 2008. I mean, it was, you know, everybody was trying to get into development. Money was readily available and the smart, you know, smart guys did find, you know, the people that were trying to play developer or investor got wiped out. Yep. I yep. don't see that happening this time. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you. I, I was just in a, a discussion with one of my friends too. He was convinced that uh, real estate is in big trouble. And I said, no, it's actually quite the opposite. So I'm glad. Uh, and I was speaking from more of a residential standpoint, but I'm really glad to hear some of the things you're saying about, about commercial as well. Uh, yeah. I, I can't help but ask you, and I have to because you're in California, is as somebody who's in California and has businesses there, uh, a lot of money tied up, and then, but you're, you know, Elon Musk, he just went to Texas. You have all these other, you know, folks that we see on Twitter or wherever that they're out of here. They're done, you know, uh, they're leaving for better tax havens like Texas and Tennessee and those kind of places. 
What, can you speak a little bit about what you're seeing maybe on the ground there? What's real, what's not? And Yeah, well, are- I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, in 2006, uh, I opened an office in Boise, Idaho. And uh, I opened an office there uh, with my partner, uh, Matt Mahoney, who came, he was an implant from San Diego. His wife's a professor at, uh, at, at Boise State. And, you know, I opened it up there because a lot of the people that I went to school with, a lot of people in real estate were looking at moving up there. Um, they're one of the developers here locally, Michael Adler, uh, has bought a bunch of, he's a big office guy. He bought a bunch of, he bought 88 industrial buildings up there and a bunch of land up there. So there's definitely been people moving, you know, out of state. We'll continue to move out of state. They've been doing it, you know, kind of forever. It's no different than I've got a lot of clients that started off in Van Nuys and moved to Chatsworth then to Simi Valley, then to Oxnard. So they moved from LA County to Ventura County, but there's no doubt. I mean, you know, I've had, I think the last three investment deals that I've done have been out of state. So people have sold properties in California and moving it to primarily it's either going to go to Arizona, uh, Nevada, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida. Um, but it's definitely, money's definitely moving out. Um, but at the same time, you know, you know, it's a beautiful day today, minus the wind from the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's, you know, you've got this weather here. You've got incredible universities all around. You've got a lot of smart people. Um, and he's, even as companies, I mean, you know, everybody was worried about Amgen about seven years ago, eight years ago when they started relocating to other spots. And, you know, boy, it's going to kill the Caneo Valley out here. And at the end of the day, you know, you got Westlake Biopartners. You know, I think they've done you know, almost a billion dollars worth of new funding for new startup companies. There's all these smart people. Take an early retirement, you're 50 years old, you're going to go do something. And so there's a lot of new companies that have been started and created. And, and so despite, you know, some larger companies moving out like, like Tesla and, uh, you know, that one Haas automation is, you know, building a big plant out in Henderson, Nevada, they'll still remain here, but they're moving over there. Um, there's a bunch of companies that have moved, you know, so, I mean, you're going to continue to see that, um, Hopefully, hopefully our, our government can look at ways to keep some of this manufacturing here and, and to make it a little more uh, palatable to do business here. It's tough, though. It's I mean, it is tough. And again, I'm I've been I've been right in you know as close as you can get to your government when I was on that planning commission for ten years, and you know it took me it took me about five six six years to help Tim Smith that owns Bob Smith BMW get his project approved in Calabasas. And that was a dealership that's bringing $500,000 worth of revenue to your city every year. And then, uh, and then we had at that time, Kilroy was building a bunch of office buildings and, and we didn't really want any office buildings. So we went out and we got Rick Caruso and I convinced Rick to buy 20 acres of land, you know, to do that. And that took him, you know, three years to get done. And so, you know, I'd say the entitlement side, the fee side, the regulation side, you know, we're going to have to really look at that. Otherwise, we're going to continue to see a lot of smart people creating really good companies. And then when they grow up, they're going to relocate to places where they get treated a little bit better, um, both from a regulatory standpoint, an employment standpoint, you know, your workers comp, I mean, you name it, insurance, Mm -hmm. it's just a lot cheaper. And you know, but that's not to say that it's forever. I, I was just in Phoenix, uh, maybe eight weeks ago, on selling a property to a client. Come, money coming out of California, going to Phoenix, 
and my partner out there, uh, Stein Koss, has been out there since 1988 working in, you know, they just passed, I think, a measure B where they put their state income tax went from 4.5% to 8.5%. So that's a big increase, all right, on a very conservative, you know, historically conservative uh, state. And same thing's kind of been happening if you go out to Austin. I've been to Austin quite a few times, and Austin's kind of having that. So, you know, kind of be careful what you ask for because I think, you know, you could move, and then you could move and find out that you're, you know, that an area is going is changing, and, you know, you could end up not quite getting the long-term benefit that you're looking for. So hoping that, you know, hoping that we see some smart people get into office and, and you know, and take – try to start making some changes that make it a little more palatable for businesses, not just start here, but to stay here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you, know you don't, you don't forget. I mean, people don't realize that when a big company like a Tesla moves out, I mean, you know, hundreds, not hundreds, but could be hundreds of suppliers and people that touch that company in some way, shape or form advertising, um, you know, providing different components, whatever it might be, paper, janitorial services. I mean, it's top to bottom. And so you're talking about a huge impact with what one company can have to an area or a community, you know? So um, that's what hurts, you know, to me it hurts because it's like the, it's the, the top is fine, right? It's the middle and the bottom that just get, just get wiped out. It's, you know, it's, and it's been happening obviously during COVID. If you look at, you know, you've got your job, I've got my job, I'm going to be okay. But the guy that's, you know, working three jobs and got a couple people living under one roof that are busting their humps for, for our economy. They, they're the ones that really make the engine run. They're impacted the most. Mm -hmm. And so again, I hate to see, you know, you look at a Tesla moving, you know, yeah, it seems, oh boy, that's terrible. Tesla's moving out. But what about all these other people down below that can't move with them? And where do they find, where do they find the replacement for the business that they were, they were providing? That, yeah. That's the yeah. yeah. I, I mean, just like you, I would like to see California get its act together in terms of those things, streamlined regulations, you know, I, I don't know if you're ever going to get repeals or anything like that, you know, better tax codes, more, more efficient. Uh, it's just, it's just a really gummed up system from, from our perspective on the outside looking in. I think you're kind of describing. Yeah. Well, it's gummed up when you, when you get inside, the closer you get, the further you want to get away. That's yeah. the problem. It's really, you know, it, uh, it's really tough. It's it just, when you get closer to it, you realize how, how tough it is to get projects done and, doesn't need to be that way. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you have to look at it. I mean, responsible development is good. You have to have responsible development for a community in order to continue the vibrancy of your city. I mean, we all, all these cities require a relatively high level of service. Well, that high level of service doesn't happen unless, you know, you provide the income sources, whether it's hotels, retail, auto dealerships, um, tax certain businesses at a rate to where it doesn't, it doesn't break their backs. Um, that's, that's really the only way you can do it without taxing somebody. And the problem when you tax somebody so heavily is that, you know, you end up, you end up just basically creating a situation where we're all working and, you know, you earn a buck and you're lucky to take home 50 cents. You know, when we talk about, you know, how much money we pay in taxes, but when you really look at it from a you know, from your state income tax, to your federal income tax, 
to just your every single, you know, your daily uh, sales tax you're paying. I mean, we're well over, you know, we're probably close to 55, 60% at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And, and that's tough. And so, you know, if something doesn't give there, I just don't see how long-term you're going to be able to get a lot of young people to be able to stay here. I mean, when I got out of college, I was renting a fully furnished one bedroom apartment for 475 bucks a month at Reseda Boulevard and the 101 freeway. You know, today that same apartment, 1600 bucks. I'm still paying junior brokers that come in out of college a thousand dollars a month, you know, for the first six to 12 months and trying to teach them. That's the same money I got paid in 1988, Mm -hmm. but I could afford that apartment and I could afford my $99 a month Volkswagen Jetta with my roll up windows and blue receipts. I mean, that's today you can't do that. So, you know, that's, and I got, I got a lot of kids. I got five kids. I got three in college, one in the Navy, but my three in college, my one daughter's over at LMU. She's a senior finishing up her senior year online. You know, what, what are kids like that going to do? I mean, where are they going to go work? How can they go afford to pay, you know, $3,600 a month in rent for one bedroom apartment in Playa Vista? Uh, where the, you know, how do they create enough money to create a potential family and life and be able to buy a home? I don't, I don't know either. Yeah. It's not, it's not sustainable long-term definitely. Right. And, and you can't, we can't just cut taxes because then we've got all this debt to pay and we have to at least attempt to look like we're going to be able to pay it back, even though we physically yeah. can't. So yeah, it's a, it's a major problem. I'm sure we could talk for another whole hour about that, <laughs> but I, but I at least appreciate your perspective as an insider from California because um you know, it's just, it's just always unique to hear. Uh, so um, one last question I'd like to ask everybody uh, and it'll put you on the spot here, but um, you, it, knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in, in time to when you first started in commercial, in the commercial real estate sector, what is, what is one piece of advice you would give yourself? One piece of advice. Oh boy. You know what? I would have to say that, I mean, the one thing that I really enjoyed, I, I have the first two people that I cold called on October 17th of 1988. Oh, one is my best man in my wedding, best friend. And the next one, same day, is one of my best friends. And uh, we live and play golf in the same area. And, you know, I was told when I was pretty young in my career, I tried to make money and it didn't work so well. So I just tried to build relationships and build relationships, not just with clients, but with vendors and different people that provided different services that I didn't provide. And I'd have to say at the end of the day, you know, looking back and yeah, you, you know, you have financial success, but financial success is just one piece of of life Um, without those friendships and those colleagues that you've been able to spend the last 30 you know, almost going on now 33 years with, that's made the ride, you know, worthwhile. And we've all been young with no kids and uh, getting a little older with kids and all the pains, you know, that go through uh, becoming a young man, young adult, young, or, you know, new father, uh, you know, all the way to grandpa and kids in college. And, you know, so just having that community is really important. So I would say that, you know, do it all over again. I'd do the same thing. You know, would I like to make some changes? Yeah. But if, you know, but if I had to do it all over and it turned out the same, I, I would be very pleased because it's, uh, it's been a good ride. Um, you know, done a lot of good, helped a lot of people, uh, create some great companies, um, you, you know, and 
that's all you can really ask for is try to see if you can touch as many people as you possibly can and make a difference. And, and uh, you know, despite what you think politically, there's lots and lots of good people out there um, and lots of people in need. And, and that's what I just look at. I mean, I'm just, I'm a trusted advisor. I'm trying to make, you know, stuff happen. And um, however I can do it, um, you know, I'll, I'll give a hundred percent effort. Yeah. I love it. That was a great answer, Mike. Thank you for that. Um, where can people find and follow you if they want to get in touch with you? Anything real estate related? Well, you can find me basically. I've got my website. I think it's Mike Tingas. What is my website? I have to even tell you. I've been so, yeah, it's MikeTingas.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Find me right here at my office in beautiful Calabasas at, uh, at mtingas at lee-re.com. Call me anytime. Uh, I'm always available. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show today, Mike. This is a great no, conversation. Thank you, Lance. I appreciate it, bud. Really do. Have a great day. 